how do you make positive impressions continuously with content for anyone that might buy your thing in the next decade? That's the question that we have to answer with B2B content. My name is Fab, and if you don't know me as per yet, well, yes, hello, I am the host and head teacher of Marketing School. Welcome back. If you're a dear listener, we missed you. It's only been a week, but a week is too long. And this week, I have a treat. I always say that, but I mean it this time. Indeed, this week, I'm not alone, hence the treat. Tom is with me, Tom Hunt. And I'm going to tell you a bit about Tom and also how I know him. Well, Tom starts and grows B2B businesses. And actually, that I didn't know is that before that, he studied chemistry at Imperial College of London and followed the herd to a management consulting job in the city of London. Then he got bored, built a marketplace, connecting entrepreneurs and virtual assistants from scratch whilst traveling the world and sold 90% of it. Now, he starts and grows the most profitable podcast for B2B businesses with fame. And I know him because very meta he also built the podcast host for high growth businesses, which is Bcast, which is what we use to host our show. And we have done since the beginning. So first of all, Tom, thank you <laughs> for giving me the tool to actually host this thing that everybody's listening to. And secondly, hello, how are you doing? I'm very good. Yeah. So I guess if anyone's listening to this, the audio file is being served by the Bcast servers, right? Exactly. That's what's bringing it into the existence and has done for over a hundred episodes. So. Really? And thank you, Bcast, for holding wow. on, <laughs> keeping us flowing. We're honored to host you on the platform. Thank you. How does it feel, actually? Before we jump into some icebreaker questions, uh, we've talked multiple times, so I don't, need, we, I don't feel we need to break the ice, but we shall follow our format. But yeah, how does it feel? I like, have been definitely with Bcast. I know they're also fame, but it's been a while, and I think things have changed a lot. So how does it feel looking back at when you started and how things have evolved? Yeah, I think it's super interesting because there's actually a third one as well that I don't really publicize because if you tell people you're doing like five things, they think you're not doing anything. So the other one, and actually the precursor to Fame and Bcast was SaaS Marketer, which is basically, a, it was a daily email newsletter where I'd write about how SaaS companies have grown. And But looking back, so if you rewind three years, then we, that takes us to 2019. And I probably just started SaaS Marketer. And so Fame and Bcast were not even ideas. They probably, I didn't even... I had no idea that they were ever going to happen. And so now you fast forward three years and those two are like all of my time. So it, I think it's a super interesting point maybe for the audience is that even if you like have a plan for what you're going to do over the next few years, it can still be really good and a good outcome, but it might not be anything to do with your plans. You know what I mean? That is genuinely the story of my life. So I, I definitely really? relate with that. Yeah, it's always been, I follow, I followed the plan and never been without a plan, which I know for some people is a big issue. Like, what should I do next? I was like, I always knew, even without marketing school. But it generally just happened as, again, we all said our old show also on Bcast, hence, I know, I know all of it. And it just happened because of the pandemic and I really wanted to kind of change slightly the direction, but still have the same mission of helping people make an impact online. And then I was like, well, this is what people are asking me. This is what people are interested in. This is what I'm good at. Why don't I do the market research to try and start it? So it wasn't planned. It came up. People were interested. And then we literally got the teachers in and everybody kept adapting and iterating as we went. So I understand. Mm. I understand. I definitely understand. And I'm going to change the tone, though, and we're going to go back into a bit of less worky conversation with my first question for you, which is, um, I mean, it could be work. 
I don't I don't discriminate. Tom, what would be a trivia category that you'd be really good at and why? Yeah, great question. I think it would be my favorite type of book and and Netflix program. It's like the intersection between crime and business. And specifically if there's like a courtroom involved in like either the book or the so I think it would be business crime stories. <laughs> That's not a niche. I don't know what it is. <laughs> is there a podcast? I mean, I need to ask you now, is there a podcast out there that specifically focuses on business crime? So I haven't found one that's good that focuses on different ones, but there's been loads or many that have focused specifically on specific stories. The one that comes to mind, there was one about the WeWork thing. I don't know if you've got that crime, maybe, maybe not. Another one that the BBC did, I think, called the Crypto Queen. I didn't say that very well. The Crypto Queen, which again was like business crime. Any more that come to mind? Yeah, there's one on Wondery about the Billionaire Boys Club, which I think was just called Billionaire Boys Club, which again, business and crime. So yeah, podcast books, Netflix programs, that's like the niche. I love that because one of my favorite podcasts and the only, not something bad, but the only podcast that I pay for as a consumer on Patreon is True Crime Obsessed. So that's why they're in the niche, but it's still oh. a similar niche. They're just funny. They're great. If you're listening, which I don't know, Jillian, Patrick, if you're listening, I love it so much. They're very big personalities. And obviously we might kind of jump into that a bit, but the importance of the personality of the host and the thing that probably wouldn't be exactly your niche is that they are they focus on different types of two crime. But the first episode I listened to theirs was about WeWork. It was the WeWork documentary it. and it killed me. I was laughing. Again, you should listen just to that one, even if you don't listen to the whole thing. Is So there is business stories in there. There are as well. So they focus on any type of true crime. And the WeWork one was one of the ones that kind of jumped out. So yeah, that's a good one. But I love it. I love I love when the trivia category is very specific because I think that would be a good one for one of those like host shows where they ask, what is the thing that you know the most? <laughs> now, going back into work though, even if we never really left it, did we? I want to know about jobs. I want to know about the first job that you had, Tom, and what did you learn from it? Yeah, the very, the very first one is not that interesting. It's a paper round. Maybe I was like 14. But that's not the one I want to talk about. The one I want to talk about is the second or third one. And it was at a Chinese takeaway in Chippenham, which is a small town near Bristol and Bath in the west of England. And so the daughter of the family that ran the Chinese takeaway within my class at school. And so we used to walk to school together sometimes. And, and I, was, I really loved Chinese food. So I would just try and convince her to like get me, let me to work there. So then I eventually got the job there. And my job was to like pack up the bags with the orders and then also do the frying. So do the deep fat frying of like the chips and the spring rolls. But what I learned, I think the big learning there was that you can, I don't know, just like to like ask for stuff. Like maybe there were other people that wanted to work there, but they didn't get it because they didn't ask. So that was, I think, probably the biggest learning that sometimes you just need to ask for what you want. Are you, are you quite an extroverted person or do you find yourself to be quite introverted? And that's a weird question, but I'm going somewhere, I promise. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm definitely more introverted. Like I, I work at home. I like quite rarely leave the building that I live in. I like obviously like socializing, but it tires me out. Mm. And so my default is to not socialize. <laughs> but the reason why I asked is because I think there's a misconception that 
when people say, ask, you never know what you're going to get. And like, well, easy for somebody who is extroverted, who, you know, who is confident. And I think sometimes there's that misconception that just if you are perceived or if you are extroverted or if you have that sort of confidence, but there are different ways that you can build that confidence so that you can just try. And um, so that's why I wanted to say it because I don't want people that feel they are extroverted, introverted themselves to be like, ah, well, I don't know if I can ask or if I don't know if, if it is for me. I think there's a different type of thing that you can tap into when it comes to that as well. Yeah, I think we have to define the words, right? So I think of the difference between introversion and extroversion and confidence. And so the, the definition, I think, like the actual one for introversion and extroversion is where do you regain energy either on your own or with people? I think that's different from having the confidence to ask for something. That is very true. And I love that you brought that up. What I'm going to add to that is that I think there is a misconception, though, about that, too. So I'm glad that you brought it up because, again, I think that's the other thing. If I'm an extra, I'm an introvert, therefore, I don't, I cannot have that confidence or I don't have that confidence, as you say, is actually slightly different. And also, I think the beauty of it is that you can build up the confidence. You can find ways to be more comfortable with asking, as you say. Energy-wise, that's harder. I'm an introverted. People don't guess that because I like I scream, I shout, I dance everywhere in front of students, in front of people. But I'm very much an introverted. I don't like to be around people for a very long period of time. I like to be alone. And people don't understand mm. that about me. So I'm glad you brought it up because, again, there's a bit of a misconception right there. I have one more question to break the ice and to lead us into more B2B fun. Everybody's like, yes, B2B which is actually related to what we do. So just to kind of close this off is obviously we're all about encouraging people to market to hearts, not to brains. That's what we do. And so in your own way, what does making a positive impact on your audience or even on your clients mean to you, Tom, and why? Yeah, I, our whole, like, if we look at fame, the whole, our mission is actually just make clients, employees, and freelancers happy i think that's the whole goal of what we're trying to do and so what does it mean to me i think there's like a feeling that is like hardwired into you to make you feel good when you do something to help someone else and i think the reason why, why we have that is because it was like evolutionarily advantageous for us to work together as a team to like kill the lion when we like spent all of our time evolving so i think what it means to me is that all these other things that maybe people think might make you happy, like by making more money or by like buying a car, they actually don't really make you that happy because your body's evolved to give, reward you with happiness when you do something useful, like collaborate and help your fellow fellow humans. So I think I get this like warm feeling inside when we get a message from a client or when I get a message from a, an employee saying that I like the business has helped them. So I think that's what it means. I love that. And to be honest, what I love about it as well, with the medium that you use and the strategy that you support the clients with, you're actually also bringing them again into that spotlight. Obviously, I don't know as much, which is also why you're here, because I want to dig a bit deeper into that as well. But inherently, hopefully at least, when you listen to a podcast and you get an understanding of the team or the founder, wherever you speak, and you also get an understanding of the people that are behind it. You get that connection. You get to understand their values or why they do what they do. So I love that because it goes back into that human connection that we want. And I think obviously we missed for a while, for a couple of years. And this is why I love it too, because overall, I am a big fan of connecting through content. That's my background. But also I always found that audio content felt quite natural to me because I genuinely enjoy understanding and learning from people. So I love that you use that as obviously the medium that you're encouraging, especially an audience 
or I say companies, I guess, that you wouldn't imagine would actually go down podcast route or also in a creative way. So this is where there's a question in here, which is, what do you think are some of the misconceptions when you say, okay, yeah, B2B, B2B content, especially audio content, people say like, stuffy, what is it going to be like? You know, do you have only to talk about your topic or is it fun maybe to focus on other topics that are not necessarily what you sell? Tell us a bit more for people that generally have no idea how to make it fun or how to make it relevant or how to make it unique and fresh. B2B content specifically. Yeah, I was thinking about this. I actually posted about it today in that I think to like work out how we can make B2B content fresh, exciting or useful, we have to understand like why you'd be creating content to sell your B2B thing. And I was thinking about this and why it's changing so much at the moment. And I think that because the things you typically sell with B2B, either it's a long process to sell it because it's quite complicated service or software, or there's like only a very specific period in time when this person might buy the thing. If you're selling a t-shirt because it's less expensive, people can buy in 10 minutes. And also anybody can buy a t-shirt at any time. But if you're selling like a complex piece of software or service, then a company may only be in a buying window for this thing in like for six months every 10 years. And so I think a strategy for B2B then is not to pitch too much. It's simply to just ensure that everyone that may buy in the next decade <laughs> likes and trusts you. And so how do you do that? You make someone like and trust you by having like positive impressions to them. If we're specifically talking about online, positive impressions. And so what an outbound like sales message is not is a positive, typically isn't a positive impression. And also what a like poorly like targeted or poorly wrote advert, paid advert is also not necessarily a positive impression. So then the question is, how do you make positive impressions continuously with content for anyone that might buy your thing in the next decade? That's the question that we have to answer with B2B content. So I don't think I've answered your question there, Fab, but I think I've given some context to, <laughs> to enable us to answer it in the next part. Love it. We set the scene. Actually, you know what? Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask another question, but I think, again, this is going back into answering the, the topic that probably we're going to cover, let's be honest, I think is a wider topic than just like the one answer and the one silver bullet, so to speak. What you made me think about that was also some debate, healthy debate that was going on on LinkedIn. The reason I'm thinking about it is because of LinkedIn, obviously professionals really kind of talking about themselves and their brands. And I want to ask your question because I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think it can be very subjective, but I think it goes back a bit into that understanding of kind of how to find that middle ground and the debate was about whether LinkedIn is becoming too personal <laughs> somebody said if LinkedIn is becoming Facebook I was like thank god it's not there's nobody posting the pictures of like their the university kind of like freshman mm. week or something but bear with but it was interesting to read that and to see that debate of people be like yeah no LinkedIn should be more professional or LinkedIn should be more human or LinkedIn is becoming that combination of both and that's not the only type of content you post is not the only place where you share that content but I find that with a platform that we felt people didn't know how to approach especially if you were not looking for a job it's been interesting to see this debate so like how how do I show up on a place like LinkedIn and what type of stories do I tell or what type of content do I create so maybe sharing some of your thoughts on that can also help us again going a bit deeper into what you're starting to talk about which is Obviously, how do we tell these stories? And then from that, 
then we bring people to us and to what we do. Yeah, I think there has been a trend over the past like five to 10 years of work becoming more, less segregated from life. And I think that that is being shown in the work-related content people are producing. I do agree, like what seems to be getting engagement now on LinkedIn is like these stories about how you're like working remotely next to your like dying wife and like nothing bad with that at all. But that's like a personal revelation. And so I think that it is an effective way of getting more attention on LinkedIn. And it's only an effective way of getting more attention on LinkedIn is because people are, that's content that people are engaging with. And so for someone to say that LinkedIn shouldn't be like this, LinkedIn has only become like this because what people, is the content that people want to consume. So I don't think, see anything wrong with it. Personally, I'm really not bad. I'm really not good at that stuff because I'm really bad at like sharing my emotions. So I'm not, I'm not going to be like writing those kind of posts, but um, unless I do a lot of therapy, so that might happen. Bless you. I, and to be honest, you're right. There's also something to be said about that too, which is, is always understanding what do you want to share? And I, there are some people that I find are really open and vulnerable in different ways. But I think, especially when it comes to the audition line as, as a human being, we all have different sets of boundaries and that's important to decide. Again, I was having another conversation with somebody else who was like, ah, there's not as much engagement on my LinkedIn posts, even if I, I did the right time, the right place, the right formula. But then they also said to me, well, but I guess the right people that I wanted to see this post saw it because then they approached me. So, you know, sometimes it's like, it's great mm. that they get the engagement, but also sometimes if only one person comments and then another couple of people see it, that showing up consistently still can get some people to think, oh, this person is interesting. So, you know. Yeah, like, so I, I think engagement, like comments and likes are like leading indicators that you might get some business, but actually you don't need the comments or likes to get some business, right? The, assuming that's what the people who you were talking to were trying to achieve was to sell something. Yeah, and exactly. yeah, the common likes, yeah, they're, they're a leading indicator, but they're also helpful because that gets you more impressions, right? But then at the same time, impressions is not foolproof because someone could screenshot that, send it in their Slack team to somebody, and that would get you some bit, could get you some business. So I think that if we had to stack rank the value of these signals, it would be the comment would be the least good indicator. Then it would be the like, then it would be the impression, but they're still not like foolproof. And so therefore you just have to try and get qualitative feedback or ask everybody that comes to buy your thing where they found you. That's something that I've seen actually. I've read so many and I've researched so many ways that you can do that or kind of get a better understanding of that. But also I find that there's sometimes a reminder of like how scalable that can be. I find that there are, it's interesting to see the different ways because actually if you're clever enough about it, you can find different ways to track that better. But I still find that it's also just real talk. We also need to remind ourselves how scalable that can be sometimes to be able to get mm -hmm. all of that, that feedback. Have you found, do you do that either? Actually, let me ask you, do you do that with some of your clients, especially with fame? Because I think it's interesting to see how you are using that when it comes to the podcast world and to the audio content to kind of see who is it reaching, but also how is it then representing as a return of investment or as lead generation? Mm. So ROI, so is this how we do it at Fame or is this how we recommend our clients do it with the podcast that we build for them? I'm going to say you can choose. <laughs> yeah. So how I think about attribution, let's, I'll do it with Fame because I probably it's going to be a better answer, is that I really should 
on the so the, the the kind of buying process for someone at famous they go to the website and they fill out a proposal request form i really should add part onto that form like being like where did you hear about us haven't done it yet like partially because it, i just couldn't get it to fit into the ui with me doing it so i need to find someone to pay to make it make it make that happen which i should really do and that will like really help with the attribution i do ask everybody every client that goes through the process though in person when we speak and so how am i like the question is of what we're spending on marketing how am i like judging whether that's working or not and so i ensure like i have my little spreadsheet where i write in the answers for anybody that finds us where they found us but still there are some strategies like my podcast and like the content we write on linkedin and content that we put on the website that I'll still probably do, even if people are not saying that's directly where they found us from, because I think there are some things that are just really hard to track, or even the people that are telling us where they found us that they wouldn't even get that right anyway. And so what I'm looking for with those strategies in order to judge whether I keep going or not, is just are people saying that the thing that we, the content that we've created is helping them, whether that's on the podcast, whether that's on like LinkedIn native content or whether that's content on the blog. So it's like qualitative feedback that we're actually adding value to people that are close to the people that would buy, as well as asking the people that are going through the sales process how they found us. And then just combining that together to be like, okay, we should spend more on this or more on this. Let me ask you now a, a follow-up question then, <laughs> almost going back, we did a bit of a mini loop, going back to talking about value and obviously like how the human side of it connects with people, especially in platforms like LinkedIn. But then also we talked about value at the beginning as that kind of like, I call it no like and trust, but obviously it's like and trust is the, the core steps when people get to know you. What would you say are, oh, double question, I'm going to make it hard. What would you say are some mm. types of content that you think people find have loads of value? Or is there any suggestions or guidelines maybe you give your clients where they're like, I don't know what, value content is which for us might seem like that but for some people is a struggle and if so if you can think of some examples like how to's or you know breakdowns or whatever or maybe questions that they need to ask themselves and the second question is do you find that that changes often do you find that this has changed like what type of content people find of value or do you find that there are some types of content that still tend to work so a bit of a double edge question a bit of a hard one yeah good question I think the more so I, I like studying people who like are doing well either in podcasts or on LinkedIn. And I find that the content that challenges beliefs and makes people think a different way, even if they, they get challenged and they dislike you or they disagree with what you're saying, that is the content that's getting the most engagement at the moment. And so it's not necessarily a format. It's more just like, I don't know how to say it, but like a vibe to the content is almost how I, what I would say is that, okay, let's break that down actually. I think there's what the content actually said, like the actual information, which I think should be, should challenge existing beliefs. And then there's how that information is communicated, e.g. like the copywriting, you could say. And so if you can have like strong, clear, concise, like, copywriting whether you're saying it or whether it's being written and you combine that with challenging existing beliefs or being a bit unconventional i think that's the content that's performing the best at the moment and so how is that changing is that changing i'm not sure i'm seeing that more but maybe that's because the stuff like the more basic stuff like the how to post or, or the lists are like a bit overdone so i think there's a shift towards this kind of content but i wouldn't be able to say like where it's going next 
I'm going to put my prediction hat on. Tom, I'll let you know we have hats. You can't see there's not a real hat. Tom, imagine whichever hat you want is a prediction hat. Sometimes I put it on. I've been thinking about it because I've been following quite a few people on platform that usually I was on, but I was more lurking. Like again, LinkedIn and Twitter, which I came back to, which was an older love. And it was a bit of a bit of a tempestuous relationship. And so I've been looking at how the people that do it well, do it well. And I have a good friend, Kevon, who was in the podcast and talked about it as well. And there's that whole element of building in public and understanding, you know, how people grow and what they learn and the lessons. And it's interesting to see, and I can see that becoming something that is still a bit niche. So for some people like us, we know because we talk about the lessons or the achievements and the goals, but I can see that them becoming more and more prominent when it comes to even just the video formats. When you think about TikTok and Reels, it's all about actually showcasing some of these lessons or some of the behind the scenes. People really want to see, they're happy to see what we do and they're happy to see the highlights, but they also want to understand who we are behind that. Now, the question mm -hmm. that I have after the prediction hat is on, because I can see that becoming less of a niche and more of a, what people will see. And it's like, is this then going to come to a saturation level or is it going to come to a point when then that almost becomes like what everybody's saying is the same thing? And how will that shift next? Because that's the question, you know, like we, we all have seen, a, we've been marketers for a while, both of us, we look very youthful, but I'm sure both of us have had our fair share. And I've seen how things have changed and shifted since the day that you could put Sydney filters on Instagram. Does anybody remember the Sydney? It's a terrible filter, but it was there. You know what I mean? So that's where, that's my two cents from this perspective is mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting but I can see that that could be a shift in that perspective of really championing that building in public, showing us to be on the scenes like Airbnb talking about, obviously going fully remote and such. But then I'm kind of wondering when everybody's saying that, then what is going to change next? Interesting. I have no yeah. idea. But I'm, hmm. How much of your personal life are you sharing in your content? Uh, I, for me, it's that's interesting, actually, you ask, because talking about what we said at the beginning for me it's it's quite a lot like kind of manageable kind of a lot but then I realized that then is genuinely scratching the surface I never talk about my mental health because that's one of my biggest issues and one of the biggest troubles that I had in my life never talk about it because I'm not comfortable with it because of generation I am is not as open and also I'm not the kind of person that feels confident right now as you say whether it's both therapy and working on it but then I talk to some people and they're like, oh, you share so much because sometimes I share me and the husband going on a run or, you know, things like this that are kind of candid. And yeah. for some people, that's too much. They don't like to share any of that. So what for me feels like a good amount for some people feels insurmountable. So I think that's why, you know, it's interesting to see like, are people going to actually kind of crack it up and go beyond their, their boundaries and their level of confidence. In my opinion, they shouldn't because we should all be able to do it the mm -hmm. way we want. Also because then it sounds a bit disingenuous. You know what I mean? If you do it just for the sake of doing it, it's like, there still has to be a reason. And actually, I'm going to ask you a question now because the question was really good. What is your opinion when it comes to that, sharing that personal content? Does it still need to have some value for the audience? Is that the way to do it? Mm -hmm. Because that's the problem, isn't it? Like the picture of your dog, how much can they bring in the dog is cute yeah i think it's a good question i think that if you have added value previous to the personal post i think the personal post itself can can be valuable to the audience because if you've added value someone they become interested in you and therefore this satisfies that interest 
I think this, there's a wider point. We can connect this back to what we're saying about B2B marketing. Is I was saying that we just need good impressions over time with the people that could buy your thing. Now, does that mean you can just post pictures of your dog and you're going to like, they're going to want to buy your like email marketing software from you? I'm not sure. And so that might not be the best approach if you're looking to sell the email marketing software. And so I would still like pepper in the dog pics like every month, but the rest of the content needs to be, I think, a little bit more relevant to the the person who's going to buy your thing, a little bit relevant to what they're trying to achieve, whether it's like getting promoted internally or whether it's like growing their sales through email marketing. You made me think about something actually, which goes even better with this because I'm thinking about podcasts now. Podcasts to me personally, going back to what you said, are a great example on what you just mentioned, that balance and almost you said the peppering the content is almost peppering the personality of the brand or the person, depending on how much of the brand is one individual or more. Because one of the things that I love about the podcast that I love is that they have the inside jokes, the inside community things, you know, like the prediction hats. Our hats are quite famous where people are listening mm. for a while because we put really? them Yeah. You know, they're cool. Because like there's the, the little prediction hat, the, this conspiracy theory hat, when you talk about, you know, Twitter and such. And so it, it's become it's become our thing. And I have similar things to some of the podcasts I listen to. And it's not every single word or every single episode has that. But when they do, it makes you smile because you know what they're talking about. And if you never heard that, you'll be like, hmm. So I think about some of the B2B companies that I love and even some of the platforms that I use in the past. And it's not all of it is an endless joke or an endless dad joke if that survived but if you unsubscribe from something maybe they have the little picture of the puppy that it said from the office it's the little mm. things that connect together that give us what we call no, uh, in general but all marketing school as well the consumer insights the understanding of kind of how how do our audience recognize us and i think that is still valuable that's adding personality without having again to talk about you know, the holiday you had with your partner or spouse. So it's kind of finding that balance. And personally, yeah. that's what I like. I like to be able to understand what's the vibe of the brand because it has to work with me as well in a way. I agree. And now I'm going to go into a bit of audio content, though. I'm going to ask you actually related to this. What do you think is a good quality for a podcast host? Let's go a bit into audio content just for, just for a touch. Let's just kind of, especially when it comes to B2B because, you know, we have different niches and stuff, but when it comes to some of your clients and even maybe some of the people that use Bcast and such that are in the B2B space, what do you think are some of the good, sometimes even understated qualities that they should have? Yeah, I think that it's, if I had to choose one, I would probably say somebody's ability to react to what the other person is saying. Like if we flip to the opposite, and you have the host who has the seven questions and they read them out regardless of what happens. That I don't think is like an engaging episode. But the host that maybe has some questions prepped, but then halfway through the interview actually goes on a complete tangent that was not even like prepared for. I think that is probably the number one thing. And it's really hard for like new hosts to do that, right? Because they're scared that like being recorded, maybe it's even live. So it is a skill that develops over time as you get more comfortable like being a host and with the subject matter. So reacting, I think, is really important. Linking, like smaller ones, is like making someone feel comfortable. Linking between the answers and like future questions. Doing a little summary at the end, explaining what they what they liked. Thanking the host at the end, of course. They're like smaller things, but I think the most important one is being able to like adapt during the interview. 
Okay. I'm going to be humble now and say that I feel pretty good about myself. (laughs) 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 Then also, I mentioned it a few times on the show. I used to be a music journalist. And I'm going to say this because there's another question that is related to this that I really want to ask. And the reason why I'm saying this is because then musicians love them, but it can be a tough crowd because they get asked the same questions all the time. So when you're interviewing one and he's quite famous and he's not in a good mood and you, you need to be like, if I come with the same question again, they're literally not going to look at me and they're going to walk mm. out. So again, when you have a tough crowd like that, talking to somebody else, it's, it's a very easy sell. And this goes to my next question because... Again, I love what you shared and I think it's very important for the host, but then I don't want us to forget that if we become guests onto a podcast, and I know that's been something that you've been doing a bit more, actually going into shows and getting booked in like this one. Hello. So I was wondering, what do you think is a good quality for a guest? Because let's not forget, people will remember the host as much as we'll remember the guest. If not more the Mm. guest, if if they're familiar with the show, they know Fab, they know her vibe, but they don't know Tom. So what is something that guests should keep in mind as well? Yeah, I think it's understanding the audience and then not, and it's like doing your best to like not talk about your product or your experience, but just trying to understand like how you can help them. And I think that comes again, like by knowing your subject matter, you get more comfortable by doing that. And also not having anything prepared, I think the best. So I've done about 200 interviews, like about sales operations, right? This is a topic that I knew nothing about, but I was able to go into those by 150th one, I could like look at the person's LinkedIn profile 30 seconds before and then just go in without prepping anything. And so I think it's important either the host and a guest to eventually get away from prep completely. If it makes you feel comfortable, start do that. But then just like react and have a real conversation with the listener in mind. So this is both host and guest. React, have a good conversation or real authentic conversation with the listener in mind. And that that is a skill, by the way. I want to say everybody's listening is like, oh, that is a skill because obviously there is something that you mentioned, which is important, the reactiveness as well, which one of the things that I personally also don't struggle with, with somebody I can see they're just following a train and you say something that, you know, that could be very well elaborated and it's completely forgotten. So, but you know, when you think about that mixed with feeling confident, mixed with, you know, remembering how, what is the audience going to take away from this episode? It's quite a lot. So again, if anybody feels a bit like, ah, First of all, start, get confident with talking, with listening and hearing your voice. I was thinking about, I've been hearing my own voice for eight years because I was doing <clears> courses <throat> before. So I'm really used to it. And so it's like, but it takes <clears> time. Some people are, at first are like, oh, it's like, yeah, you know, so get confident, get comfortable, find your voice, find your tone, find it works for you. And then again, if you can, I love the tips that you give us because I think these are literally things that can take your experience as a host or as a guest to the next level. So thank you. Now I'm going to wind us down with some quick fire questions, which could again be related to what we talked about today, but it might be that we're going to go a bit wild. So Tom, are we ready? We're ready. Yeah. This is one of my favorite questions, which is all about tools. What is an underrated tool that is indispensable for your day-to-day work? I want to know. Yeah, it's it's a very, it's free. And it's just going to get the name up. It's a screenshotting tool called Monosnap. Very easy to use, very easy to annotate. And especially like working remotely, being able to very quickly take screenshots to show something to people is like super valuable. So it's called Monosnap. Love it. I wrote it down because I'm a big fan of Loom, which is obviously the, uh, or anything like Loom, but it's the one that people know, which is the video version of it. And God, they save us mm. so much time. 
<laughs> so excellent suggestion. And now I'm going to go a bit wild again. I'm going to actually ask you to think about something that is on your phone. So yes, we're going to actually get the phone into the picture. What is the last picture that you took on your phone? Can you remember it? A picture that can be shared? Yeah, I can't remember it, but I can have a look. It might be from the weekend and therefore might not be able to be shared. I'll then have to do in Mallorca. <laughs> so let's have a look what I took. Well, that could be the, the general idea. We'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Shall I show this? We're not the, the video being published. I can show the picture to the video. It's up to you. I mean, I've taken screenshots before, but <laughs> if, it's, if, it's, if it's worth it. And uh, it's just a beach pic. And I, yeah, I think, I think I took this one. It's just we're playing catch on the beach. Cute. In uh, in Mallorca. Oh, I love that. See the boys. I love the boys. So the boys. I love yeah. that. Thank you. See, so it was everything totally fine. We got it. We got the snap as well. If anybody wants to see it, you can go on our Twitter and you can actually have a look at that too. Now, what is your favorite social media platform and why? Since I love social, I do love to ask this question. Yeah, I think right now it has to be LinkedIn. I think what they've done, I don't know why they've got why they're doing so well in terms of engagement, but I guess work like, yeah, I don't know why, but I think LinkedIn right now is really crushing it, to be honest. And if I asked you as the last person that you followed or that you followed and you would recommend other people to follow, would it be on LinkedIn or would it be like somewhere else? And who would it be? It would be LinkedIn for sure. And it would probably be, I, ha I actually started following people properly, like bookmarking their profiles. So I've got like the last 10 people here. So if I had to recommend one, it would probably be Chris Walker from uh, Refine Labs. He he actually he kind of built the playbook for B two B organic posting on LinkedIn. So if anyone is looking to learn to do that, then he's definitely the person to learn from. Okay, I'm going to write it down. Also, I'm going to suggest as well, which is a bit less B two B though. But since you mentioned like the playbook on LinkedIn, also Justin Welsh, which I mentioned a few times in the last couple of weeks. So um, that is more for even creators or more like wider entrepreneurial style, but. And it goes back to that storytelling is not a great example. So both are going to be in the show notes, peeps. So last but not least, Tom, if you could broadcast one message into everyone's phones, what would that message say? Everybody's phones and it just comes up in like black writing on their phone for how long? For like half an hour? Well, I think longer. It depends on what it is, but at least long enough they can read it and then it can stay there if it's meant to be. Not forever, but yeah, yeah. just for long enough. But yeah, I think this is similar to what's your favorite quote. Or no, what's your favorite quote that you want other people to read, which is different. I would say my favorite quote, which I probably would want everyone to, to read, is from the Hindu text, the Bhagavad Gita, where, and it's, I might be butchering the wording, but it's like, you do not have the rights to the fruits of your actions, just the actions themselves. Basically means enjoy what you're doing. Don't focus too much on the prize. And so it's very hard to like remember that as you go through life. But I think if you do or you remember it more, you actually enjoy the process more. I love it. And another way that I read that, I read that thank you for sharing that, is also like sometimes when you create something and you put it out into the world, you need to remember that then a lot of people say it's no longer yours or it's not just yours anymore. That's what I'm mm -hmm. trying to say. So, you know, I, it's that kind of thing. Sometimes if you create something or if you put something out there, you know, it's not just yours anymore. And, you you know, you need to embrace that. And it comes with the good, the bad and the healthy sometimes. So I love that. Well, thank you. We did well, didn't we? Dear listener, listener's like, yes, Fabi did well. Thanks. 
Yeah, Fabio, you are a good host. <laughs> You've been doing this. He's a hundred episodes, right? So you you would expect that you would be a good host by now. And I'm happy to say that you are. Oh, thank you. See, I got the seal of approval. Yay. <laughs> to be honest, even more so when I think about it, I think I mentioned it to you on another chat. I, I think I had five podcasts in my life, which means I have a, at least 500 conversations somewhere. Some wow. of them are still existing. Again, the old the podcast pro. is still there. It's still on Vikas. It's still there chilling. Uh, but, so mm-hmm. thank you so much. Uh, you have been a great guest. And hopefully, I mean, we went wild. We went a bit on the B2B, went a bit on the audio content, but it's all coming together. I think we really kind of tapped into that value, the understanding also of how we're showing up in a different way in so many areas. But hopefully, especially from the B2B, I know that sometimes it's not as loved, <laughs> our podcast and in general. So hopefully we give you mm-hmm. something more to think about. But OVS... It doesn't end here. So if people want to actually get more of this goodness from you, remind us of where should they go before we end. So I talk about basically B2B marketing on my show, Confessions of a B2B Marketer. So that's one place. The other place is just Tom Hunt on LinkedIn. You can just add me and then ask me any questions if you have any. And then there's the Fame and Bcast, obviously, that you can Google if you want to find out more about those. 